My name is Rick Osterwalder. I served in the United States Army 1969 to 1971. John Carper. I served in the United States Army National Guard, the Navy, and the U.S. Coast Guard. I served from 1987 until 2005. Gene Fitch, Marine Corps. 1973 to 1977. My name is Bob Chrisman. I was in the Air Force from 1971 to 1975. My name is Don Alter. I served in the U.S. Navy from 1979 through 1985. My name is Philip Pearson. I served in the Marine Corps from 68 to 72. Larry Carr is my name. And the U.S. Navy. My name is Donald Root. I served in the U.S. Army from 1987 to 1989. My name is Michael West. I served in the United States Army from 88 to 89. My name is Chet Schaefer. I was in the Army from 1972 to 1974. My name is Don Kelbley. I served in the United States Army from 1985 to 1988. Bob Graham, Marine Corps, 91 to 92. Jim Winters. Served in the U.S. Army from 1968 to 1970. Hi, my name is Mike Wing. I served in the United States Army 1971 and 1972. Mike Spriggs, U.S. Air Force from 1976 to 1980. Timothy Chisholm, Army from March 3rd, 2010 to currently serving. My name is Dave Nelson, and I served in the Army, and I was in from a 1969 through 1971. I'm Sean Landis. Uh, I served in the United States Navy from November of 1989 through November of 1992. Greg Glover, Ohio Army National Guard, from 1985 to 1991. My name is Jeffrey David Peter Cuff. I spent six years in the Navy from 1980 to 1986. Dan Crane. I was in the United States Navy from 1968 to 72. Sergeant Jeremy Hohenstein, United States Marine Corps, 2009 to 2014. That is just, trust me, that's a very small fraction of the people who attend Grace Call, Grace or Church Home, who served for us. And we also included some pictures we have here that we'll flash before you of people who are currently serving and they're either stationed away from here or deployed somewhere else in the world. And uh, we appreciate all of them as well. The, the last four that you're going to see here, uh, Luis, Seth, TJ and David, uh, they just all recently graduated from basic, and so we're excited about them too. So very cool stuff. Let's again give, give a hand for, for our veterans. Um, I'd like to share my perspective, and some of you know that I grew up as a Navy brat, and uh, my dad was 16 when he decided he wanted to go in uh, to the service. It was during World War II, and uh, during the war, uh, without lying, couldn't go in until he turned 17, so he, wait. he waited till his 17th birthday, turned 17 on a Sunday, and went down to the recruiting station on Monday and, uh, and jumped in uh, to the Navy. Uh, shortly thereafter, he married my mom. I was born in a naval hospital in California, 
Uh, we moved around a lot. I was just talking to my mom about this a couple, couple months ago, and I, uh, I went to six different elementary schools. I mean, there's, there's only five elementary years, but uh, we just moved a lot in the course of what was happening uh, during my dad's service. I, I remember him serving during, he served through three wars. I remember him serving during the Vietnam era, and, and I was old enough to, to catch the news footage and, and all the reaction about what was happening there. When I graduated from high school, I decided, even though I had applied and was accepted to a local college, that I would go serve my country first and went down to a Marine recruiting station to, to join the Marines with a friend of mine. When I came home and told my dad, uh, he, he strongly advised me, my dad had a way of strongly advising, and he strongly advised me to, to wait and go, because I was already connected to a school and had a job, uh, that I should go ahead and graduate from college, and then if I still wanted to go, go to OCS. And, uh, and so that was my plan. Uh, finished college, started thinking about ministry, ended up at a seminary. At the seminary, uh, after graduating from there, or when I was getting ready to finish, I was still thinking about the military and, and thought about the chaplaincy and actually was approved to go in as a military chaplain that I thought could serve uh, the Marine Corps. And it was about that time that I actually ended up coming here, and so, the, so I never served. And, and here's my point. Um, I could have served my country, and I didn't. And now, anytime I notice a veteran, I realize that they paid a debt that I owe. You see, I've been to many countries around the world that don't have freedom like we have freedom. In just a couple months, we'll, we're taking a team to go to another country on the other side of the world. And in that country, it's illegal to criticize the king of the country. I, you may have noticed that is not a rule here. But, uh, <laughs> but all these countries, they don't have freedom like we have freedom. And whenever I notice a vet, I think... They paid my price. I owe them. And uh, because I appreciate and enjoy my freedom. And, and probably like a whole bunch of you, I think about veterans with a deep sense of appreciation that they paid my price. They paid a cost for freedom that I did not pay. And right now, I would like all of our veterans to stand. Uh, right now, I would like you all to stand. I'd like us to show, your, show you our appreciation. And I want you to keep standing until we give you a small token of our appreciation and how much you mean to us. Thank you very much for serving our country and allowing us to enjoy the freedom that we experience every day and so often take for granted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you.
We are in a, some of you guys, I want you to remain standing, ladies, men and women, until you receive that, that small token from us. But we're, we're starting a new series today. It's called Seven, and we call it that because it's a series in Matthew chapter 7. And Matthew 7 is one of my favorite uh, chapters of the Bible. I memorized a few verses out of this chapter when I was young, and they served me well through my life. And so right now, we'd like you to turn in your Bibles or grab a Bible from the chair rack in front of you or turn on your uh, device to Matthew chapter 7. This is a part of Matthew's gospel. He's an eyewitness. And in this part of his gospel, it's about the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon in history is Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, as an eyewitness, records what happened, what Jesus said during that sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So Matthew chapter 7 is the latter half of the Sermon on the Mount, and it actually starts with probably the most misunderstood statement that Jesus made. Probably Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 is the most widely quoted statement of Jesus, and it's also the one that's the most misunderstood, the one that's most quoted entirely out of its context, and therefore misunderstood as far as what Jesus is actually saying. And here's what it says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And of course, people who quote this the most, usually, are people who are trying to uh, deflect criticism, Uh, people who want to silence their critics, and when they're doing that, they interpret this verse to mean, you don't have the right to tell me anything I'm doing is wrong. I mean, that's the way the verse is used. And uh, taken in isolation, when Jesus says this, do not judge, I mean, we might think maybe that's, that's what he's saying, uh, because it seems to prohibit all negative assessment. However, there's a lot more to the passage than that. And so is that what Jesus is saying? We can never judge anything somebody does? No, that's not what he's saying. But let's start reading. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1, so we can get the full context. It says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother... Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And as we look at this statement, and also with the context of the entire verse, I want us to take time out to answer three questions that will help us understand exactly what Jesus is teaching us in this part of Matthew 7. So here are the three questions. First is this, what does Jesus mean 
when he says, do not judge? Do, do we really understand exactly what he's saying? Now, in order to understand what he means by do not judge, we have to understand the range of the word, what the word actually means. Now, clearly, Jesus is not denying the existence of absolute moral truths from which we can make absolute statements about right and wrong, good and evil, because he does this all the time. He tells us to do the same thing. So, so well, what does this mean then? Well, the word judge, just like in our language today, in Greek, in first century, had a range of meanings. And it could go from one end of the range would be to, uh, to judge as in to condemn and condemnation and punishment, that type of judgment, all the way to the other end of the, the spectrum would be evaluation and analysis. So condemnation and punishment, evaluation and analysis. And basically here, Jesus is warning us against an attitude of judgmentalism, but we have to understand what that means. We should not condemn people, this harsh judgment. We should not condemn or write people off. But we're going to see in this passage that we should judge in the sense of discerning the wrongs in our own lives and in others' lives and to help other people to see right and wrong. So that's the range of the word. So we have to understand that. And then next we need to understand the context of Jesus's statement. Notice when Jesus says, do not judge, and then he illustrates it, and he illustrates it with somebody, a friend, trying to help another friend remove a speck from their eye when he's got a log sticking out of his own, light, his own eye. But notice, Jesus is not saying, get the log out of your own eye and don't worry about anybody else. He's not saying, get the log out of your own eye and mind your own business, although sometimes that's good advice. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, get the log out of your own eye so that you will be able to see clearly to help get the speck out of your friend's eye. That's what he's saying. Jesus is not saying don't try to help someone else who has issues. He's saying we should deal with our own sin, then help others deal with theirs. And what he's teaching about judgment this is what helped me. I memorized Matthew 7, 1 and a few other verses, but I also, one of the other verses I memorized was Matthew 7, 15. And Matthew 7, 15, just a few verses later, helps us understand what Jesus means by Matthew 7, 1. Here's what it says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Okay, what's he saying? He's saying, be careful of people. Don't judge by appearances. Some people will come in sheep's clothing, but really they're, they're raging wolves. And then how do you know? So he's saying, you've got to discern this. Well, how do you know? You will know them by their fruit. Well, what does that mean? We judge their fruit. We judge their action. We judge what happens in their lives. 
to know if that's right or wrong. That tells us who they are, what they're doing, whether they're right or wrong. So following Jesus clearly requires judgments about what, what we do first, but also what other people do. So we need to understand that, what Jesus is saying, what he's not saying. We also need to understand relationships within our cultural context. Because we today, today it seems like in our culture in America, that we are not allowed to criticize anybody for anything, for any wrong that they're doing. Because if we do, then that's hateful. Or that's hate speech or, you know, whatever. It's hateful what we're doing. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, you know, people think, well, any criticism, it's automatically hateful. Unless it's the person criticizing the criticizer and calling them hateful, then they get a pass, right? That's kind of how that goes. It's not what Jesus is saying. Some cultures like ours say, love, love, love. And, and to do that, don't worry about truth. Other cultures around the world say truth, 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 and they don't worry about love. All cultures pull us away from what Jesus is teaching us about judging in Matthew 7. No culture serves us well. They both pull us away from what Jesus is actually teaching. And by the way, it's not just the culture. Our own personalities do this. Some of us here, you have the personality where you're like a, a people pleaser. And because of that, you never criticize wrong. You never stand up for right when somebody's doing something else. You just don't do that because you want everybody to like you. Um, and, and you never confront wrong. Other people, just by their personality, they are quick to blast people with the truth. I mean, they let it fly. But they don't care about the person. And so we could err on both sides. Jesus is saying, regardless of your culture, or regardless of your personality, we are to speak the truth in love. We are called by Jesus as his followers to speak the truth in love. And so we cannot let our culture or our personality rudely blast people with the truth without loving them. And we shouldn't let our personality or our culture allow us to be a coward regarding standing up for truth and helping somebody when they've fallen. So Jesus is teaching us there's a right way and a wrong way to judge. Second question, when do we judge correctly and when do we judge incorrectly? Well, what Jesus is forbidding here is that rigid, condemning judgment that closely focuses on other people's action and you're sort of blind to your own. That's what he's saying is hypocritical. That's what he's saying that we should not do. We judge wrongly when we judge hypocritically or we judge harshly without love. That's what he's illustrating with the whole log 
in the eye. He's saying, hey, as a Christian, when we see wrong in somebody else's life, especially as a believer, the first thing that we should think about is the wrong that we have in our own lives. Because to even be a Christian, you have to acknowledge that. And so first, when we see sin or wrong in somebody else's life, the first thing it should remind us of is that we too are sinners, that we've done wrong. And, but that doesn't mean we don't try to help them. We are called to help them. And the closer we are to that person, the more it's our responsibility to help them when they've fallen or when they've taken... Somebody should come up. Some, if, I'm, if I'm off on something, I'm expecting my Christian friends to come up to me and say, Hey, Kevin, wow, you really, you've strayed here. You, this is not what God wants you to do. You know what God says about this, right? Somebody to call me on that. And that's the exact same thing we should be doing with our believing friends. We do try to help them. We just do it with an understanding attitude. Here's what, in short, it's this. Don't be enraged at other people's sin more than you're embarrassed of your own sin. Does that make sense? Keep that in balance. Keep it in perspective. Jesus is saying we should point out wrong in other people's lives, especially if they're close to us, and we should do it in a caring way. Now, we react wrongly in several different ways. I'm going to mention three of them. Here's how we react wrongly in this whole judgment area. Number one, you see someone's wrong or the sin, and you just condemn them and just sort of write them off. Well, I'm not hanging, you know, I'm not hanging with that person. That, you, know, you write them off, and what Jesus is saying to you is you need to remove the plank, the log, out of your own eye. Second way we react wrongly. You see wrong in someone else. And when he's saying brother, he means fellow brother or sister in Christ, fellow believer. You see wrong in someone else's life, and you just ignore it, and, or, or worse, you just act like it's okay. No big deal. Do whatever you want. You, and, and when you see wrong in some, a fellow Christian's life, and you don't point it out, stand up, try to help them, see that, then what you're doing is you care more about your friendship with this person than you care about them as a friend. You care more about your relationship with them more than you love them. And so you don't want to jeopardize your relationship or any awkwardness, even though that's what you need to do to help them. You're not loving them when you do that. And then the third way that we react wrongly is when we're on the receiving end. There are some here, somebody has come to you as a believer and, and gently tried to point out, hey, hey, Kevin, wow, you know what God says about this, right? You, you know you're not doing the right thing here, right? You know God would say this is wrong. You get that, Right? You've had somebody do that to you, and you refuse to listen to them. And you just said, hey, no thanks, don't need you, I'm out. And what you need is you need to refocus on God's truth for your life. 
Because Jesus wants your believing friends to come to you to tell us when we've strayed from following our Savior. So that's how, those are how we get it wrong. And then we're commanded to judge in these ways. Jesus teaches that honest self-evaluation is absolutely necessary for clear discernment to correct moral judgments uh, for correct moral judgments in other people so that we would get that right. We need to see ourselves honestly in our own flaws if we're going to help somebody else. In the same passage, Jesus is telling us that we are to judge. We're to judge by their actions. That's the whole by their fruit, which he says that more than once in this chapter, by their fruit you will know them. He's telling us to look at their lives and their behavior, and we, he's calling on us to discern whether that's right or wrong. And how do we know? Well, God's Word tells us what's right and wrong. It's not just our opinion. It's what our Creator says, the righteous one, what He tells us, what He's revealed to us is right and wrong. And then we also not only do it by their actions, but also by their teaching. Now, it's interesting because wrong, non-repentant actions show what someone believes. Wrong actions, and, and if they're not repentant, that means you're not sorry for it, you're continuing in it, you don't really care, you're going to do it anyway. Wrong actions... If we defend that as believers in somebody else, if we defend somebody else's non-repentant wrong actions, then without realizing we are teaching others that this is what Christianity is all about if you're a believer. Or if they know you're a believer, they think that you're, by your behavior you're doing that, they think that's what Jesus wants, that that's what Jesus thinks is right. We represent him, and so we mess it up. And I'll tell you where that happens all the time. Social media. Social media is a part of all of our lives, whether we like it or not. But I'm amazed how people who claim to be solid Christians will look at behavior that's obviously wrong according to Scripture but then they'll, they'll post their approval, like, like, like. And it's obviously immoral behavior. Now, when you do that, if people know you're a believer, and by the way, if you're a believer and nobody knows you're a believer, that's a problem. Step up. Show yourself. Stand up for God. So, but as people know you're a believer, and they should if you are a believer... When you like something that's immoral behavior in another person, then that's teaching other people, non-Christians, oh, well, Christians must be okay with that. Oh, the Bible must be okay with that. Oh, Jesus must be okay with that. Because this person's a follower of Jesus, and they, they are approving it. Don't do that. We're not judging correctly. We're judging wrongly when we do that. We're teaching immoral behaviors okay. You're misleading people about what God says is right and wrong. And now I know I'm saying this. I'm saying this 
And I know this is going to happen today with people right here because it just happens all the time. And, and then you're all proud. A bunch of you are wondering. I wonder if Kevin saw something that I posted. <laughs> no, that's not it. You know, that, that's not it. But I know a bunch of you are thinking that. I wonder, if, what, what, did I, what did I like yesterday? He's probably looked at Facebook yesterday. No, that's, that's not the point. Let me, let me put this in a different way. Let's say, so here at Grace, I'm the senior pastor, but I don't do anything with the money. David Stacy's our financial manager. I don't count the money, look at the money, see the money, touch the money. I don't do any of that with money. But David's responsible for that. But let's say why David wasn't looking. I embezzled a bunch of money. I went down and got a loan on our property and our building for several hundred thousand dollars. And then somehow I liquidated that as cash, and then I skipped town. All right? So I got loads of cash. I skipped down. down. In the meantime, the church is just crumbles in debt. Can't move on. Can't pay the bills. We're leveraged up to our eyeballs. And so the ministry of grace just grinds to a halt. And, and all the people here at Grace are going, you know, they know what happened. And it's like, oh, I can't believe Kevin did that. And in the meantime, I'm down in the Bahamas. And then I'm eating lobster and steak in the Bahamas. And then I take a few pics and I, of my plate, lobster and steak, and I post it on Facebook. Some of you will be going, like, like, like. You realize that's jacked up, right? Most of you wouldn't do that. Why? Because I've sinned against you. And when you, when you knew what I did, and then there were other people in town say they're not part of grace and hadn't read a newspaper or whatever, and so they don't know, and they're liking, oh, yeah, that Kevin guy, I see him in the wreck. Like, like, man, that lobster looks good. Ah, cool, cool. You're going to be like, hello, the guy ripped us off. And that will be offensive to you, wouldn't it? As our church crumbles, I'm eating lobster, and other people are in town not kind of fully grass. They're just, they're just on Facebook. They don't mean to make any statements. They're just like, like, like. Oh, man, that looks delicious. Like. It would be offensive to you. Okay? When people do immoral things, and we're liking it, first of all, there's a... There's usually people in the peripheral who have been greatly offended. They've been wronged, and they see that. Oh, wow, these Christians are like, 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 what? But there's a bigger issue. When we sin, and especially unrepentant sin is what I'm talking about, that's against God. Who cares about what we think? It's against God. They've offended God. They've done wrong against God. And in the meantime, God's followers are going around going, like, 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 like. It's messed up. We need to be discerning in how we react to people in life, including on social media. 
And I know a bunch of you are saying, Kevin, I just want to love people. I just want to support people. Okay, it's not loving to support people to do immoral things that are sins against God. That's not loving. That's being a coward. Don't support people in the doing of wrong. Don't do it. We're the salt and the light of the earth. We're the people that God has put on the planet to help people see things from God's perspective a little bit. Don't sell that out just because you want to be liked by somebody or you want them to feel good about you supporting them. Don't sell out on that. We're the salt and the light. We're the ones that stand up for what's right. We're the ones who point people to God. We're the ones, and, and although we admit we ourselves are sinners, we admit it. We, just because we're doing it doesn't make it okay. We see sin, and hopefully as a believer, we then change. We're repentant. We say, wow, don't know what I was thinking. Not going to do that anymore. And when we see wrongs in others, especially those who claim to be believers, we want to help them come to repentance with God. So we got to be careful that we're not supporting them in the wrong thing. We want to stand for truth, impact people for Jesus. And third question, well, how do we know the difference there's a right way and a wrong way. Well, how do we know? How, how do we know we're, we're right? How do we know we're doing it correctly? Well, it's so easy to judge wrongly. It's so easy to do the wrong thing. The antidote for judging wrongly is the gospel. It's living in the gospel. Now, if you're new here, the gospel just means good news. And just for a minute, I want to show you, explain what that good news is. The Bible says God created us, which is obvious, creation, intelligent design. We see it everywhere. God created the world. He created the universe, and he created us. And God loved us, and human beings, he created us, as opposed to everything else, in his image, which means that we can know God, we can love God back, we can be self-aware. And God loved us, and then God gave us a standard of right and wrong. But God doesn't force his love on us, so he created us with this free will that we could know and make our own decisions. And we have all used our free will, our God-given free will, to do wrong things that God says is wrong in his law. We've all violated his law, every one of us. If you need to be convinced, see in room one, it'll take me about 30 seconds. We've all violated God's law. And God happens to be just, just exactly like we would want God to be. He's perfectly just. And to have perfect justice, sin has to be punished, which then is a big problem for every one of us because that means we've all sinned and now we all deserve, rightly, punishment from God. And the punishment, it's worse than we think. 
Because we have sinned against a righteous and holy God who gave us life and created us and told us right and wrong, and we just disregarded him. And the punishment is separation from God forever in eternity. God gives us in death what we wanted in life, which was, I want to keep God a certain distance away from me. Maybe not all the way away from me, but at least an arm's length from me and my life. And then you get that for eternity. But none of that's good news yet. Then the good news, the gospel is, that because God loves us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God, but clothed himself and became fully man as well. And Jesus lived on our planet without ever sinning. The only one who lived his whole life without sinning. And then, not only that, voluntarily allowed himself to be tortured to death by his own creation in order to pay the penalty for our sins. So that's what Jesus did. He bled out on the cross as the only sinless person to ever walk the planet in order to be our substitute to pay for our sin. Infinite God hung on the cross for three hours and died to pay for our eternity separated from God. But we don't get it automatically. The way we get that Jesus is a personal substitute for me, Kevin, or you, is through faith. Belief, understanding, and that's what we saw with baptisms today. People making this public statement that they are trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation. And then they go through this baptism. Baptism doesn't save. Baptism just says, hey, I've been saved. And this is a public statement that God, Jesus, wants me to make to testify to that. So the gospel is Jesus died for us, but the only way we get it is through faith. If we're broken by the gospel, we tell people the truth in love because we're acutely aware of our own sinfulness, that we all rightly deserve eternal separation from God in hell. I, Kevin Pinkerton, deserve for my sins in my life eternal separation from God in hell. That's the right punishment for my sin but Jesus paid it for me. And if we're broken by the gospel, we get that. And I just got to tell you, judgment in the strongest sense of the word is coming. Jesus is our rightful king and our rightful judge, and he will judge according to his standards. And somebody will pay for our sin because that is justice. Either us personally, or Jesus if we put our faith in him. That's what scripture's telling us. That's the truth that we want other people to hear. I started out today talking about veterans and how because I enjoy freedom as an American, they paid my price for freedom because freedom is never free. Always costs somebody. They paid my price. So I, I didn't, they did. For me, 
That means something. And that's a lot like what Jesus has done for us. There's just one exception. I could have paid the price and served my country. I could have. I almost did a couple times, but I did not. But others did. When it comes to Jesus, I don't have a chance. I can't do it. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus could pay for my sins. The only way I pay for my sins is to be punished for my sins. Only Jesus can take that away by being my substitute. There's no other way. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy in our country. Lord, we thank you for the greatest gift in the universe. And that is that you allow your son to come and die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And God, we thank you for these who followed you and believers' baptism that they said, yeah, I've done that. And now I want to show that in the way Jesus told me to do that. Lord, thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.